Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. But before he comes on, I have, I'm very excited to announce that we have a special guest today. Um, this man received a PhD from Notre Dame in 2010. He served at philosophy as a philosophy professor at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and is currently serving as a philosophy professor at Stetson University and Rollins College in Central Florida. He has been published in the International Journal for Philosophy and Religion. He is a canon of the chapter at St. Luke's Episcopal Cathedral in Orlando, Florida. However, most importantly, David DeQuatro is my dear friend from four years at Grove City College. We lived on the same hall all four years. He was a fellow Sigma Phi Omicron, affectionately known as a Cron for three years. He is the godfather to my second son, Simon. He is the father to my goddaughter, Giovanna de Quattro, whom he has sweetly taught to address me as godfather. He is a serviceable choral bass, a masterful masterful rebounder, with a sleeveless shirt, and everyone's favorite Jersey boy. He is Dr. David de Quattro. I love that introduction. It's great to be David here. Thank you, Kurt. How are you guys? We're doing, I'm doing good. Go on, David. Let's oh, let's. Sorry, hear sorry. It. <laughs> I, I was waiting for Christopher. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we're you know, we're trying to we're trying to make sense of this uh, quarantine here. We're uh, we just finished courses for the semester. Uh, course, you know the uh, class meetings. So uh, we're in we're in finals time. We've got um, your goddaughter Giovanna on a pretty nice uh, school schedule. We we do they do send little videos in the morning. So so we're 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 hitting a, hitting an okay groove walking bike riding doing what we can to uh, stay busy yeah what is, it, what is it like what is it like having disney world closed is that a it's trauma to the family we well we've had um passes since we've gotten here uh for most of the time so we've been down there quite a bit and we're kind of you know we we kind of let them lapse and we we're thinking about when we we're going to pick them up so so right now we're kind of uh the the uh hiatus is, has been okay jovi's not begging to go there she loves it but um she's mostly just missing her friends from school so so we're kind of you know we're kind of just letting it uh letting it slide a little um I, who knows what it'll mean for the area it's 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 of course central to the economics of the area you get like 60 million visitors not not yeah. Disney itself but but tourism in central florida uh, every it, year, it's absurd. It it's an absurd that, number. Um, 
Isn't it correct that people mistakenly think that Disney is a movie company that happens to have theme parks when in fact it's a series of theme parks that happens to make movies? What I'm saying is this is really crushing them. It is. I, I'm trying to remember. Um, I saw an article. Uh, I think their theme parks was a, were about or their movies were about to overtake the theme parks. But yeah, the theme parks has always been a huge part of the part of the equation. Uh, so yeah, this is pretty pretty devastating. Of, with Marianne in the theater department at Rollins, she knows Disney's a big employer of actors. A lot mm-hmm. we have a lot of actors that either yeah. friends that either moonlight there or it's a main job. They actually, you know, when you think about it, they they provide a lot of work in the theme parks, let alone you know with the studios and everything, but in the theme parks. Um, so that's that's been pretty rough. And uh, my family, we're still on the calendar planning to go down there in late June. Um, go to the park, see you guys. So I don't know what the future holds. Do you have Do you have any sense? What are What are the, the powers that be in Florida? What are they saying? What are they thinking? Um, Florida, you know, not not to step on any landmines here, but Florida <laughs> seems to be doing okay. Um, and we've and um, even with the beaches opening, I've I've heard different things, but actually they're, they're you know they're they're actually still pretty empty. Um, so I don't know. Florida seems to be doing okay, relatively speaking. Um, so I, I, I don't think, I don't think Florida is going to be the last one to open up, obviously not with New York and everything else, but, but, um, I, I feels like we're kind of moving on a track to, to get things, um, get things loosened up. So it's hard to say what they will be in June, but, but, uh, that's, that's my sense right now. So Dave, yeah. Um, you have a new budding talent. That the world <laughs> I would not call it a talent. Go ahead. Yes, you have been sharing with me <laughs> compositions. Maestro de Quattro, um, you've been working on some church choral music that's pretty good. So what was the inspiration behind this? So um, I, I only within the last handful of years started doing choral singing uh, in Grove City. Um, just an amateur choir. I know you came to some of the concerts, just trying to learn bass. So I've sort of been, um, learning through that. And down here I've been singing, they have a pretty cool, uh, Messiah choral society that does the Messiah every year in the big, um, the big venue, the big, uh, orchestral venue, the Bob Carr theater. Um, so, but my natural inclination is, is to kind of, I want to know more. So I've kind of had yeah. music theory in the back of my mind um, and jumped at the chance when I, I saw an online um, heavily reduced price music theory. So I started devouring it and, and just started thinking that as I worked through it, it makes, it would make sense to just, you know, to just try. It's kind of relaxing after the kids are in bed. Um, since right now, you know, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, I'm doing some pretty simple stuff. It's just kind of fun to start with a maybe a melody line and and figure out what a harmonization might look like, chord progression and things. So um, yeah, and I enjoy it. And I just love, I mean, cor- choral church music has been such a gift that's come relatively late in the last few years, um, and it's really just something meaningful to me. Um, for you know, to be able to sing it. To, to have learned it um 
So, so that that's been kind of fun. It's been definite, you know, definitely one of those quarantine hobbies, kind of devouring music theory. <laughs> I mean, as one does, you know, yes. you're locked in, and you're like, I should write some music. <laughs> so, some people are baking, other people are composing. Exactly. If you guys heard uh, that the yeast is in great demand, like it's hard to find it because everyone's baking bread. Yeah, quarantine bread. Yes. Oh, Marianne is so mad. My wife, Marianne, is a is a terrific baker, and she does sourdough. And there was a while she couldn't even get flour. She was mad. And then, there, sure enough, there are articles, there are articles in the newspaper about how everyone's trying to bake bread and how terrible it is. And Marianne was doing that. Seems to have calmed down a little bit. She's she's been we've been we've been having some nice baked bread. Yes, her uh, her social media posts of food. Um, are, uh, are simultaneously stimulate hunger <laughs> and also um, are demoralizing because uh, <laughs> I, I think, oh, I've, I've made a fun little thing here. And um, and then I see um, she's whipped up a six-course Provencal yeah. something, something. And I, I'm like, okay, all right. I, you know, the, the things Marianne, has, has, uh, whatever she puts her hand to, that she, she gets pretty good at. There's no doubt. So Christopher, um, the music that David wrote, he called uh, he he called it the Talus Mass. No, no, no. What, Tal- what I, I just mean? said Talus Mass chords because I was using those those chords. And I asked you, Dave. I, I said, "Well, it, this is this is lovely. This is this is really cool. Why do you call it the Talus Mass?" And you did something that is a grand old tradition of composers. When you're inspired by a little passage. Mm-hmm. Um, from from another composer, you use that as a jumping off point for your own composition. So there's a there's a grand old tradition of this. And I'll just say one more thing about you writing music, Dave. Um, when you and I met, um, I of course had been a, a church rat and a church musician right. and kind of grown up around church music. And um, and you couldn't read music. No, it, no, I've you learned it. Life. You hadn't played an instrument. Um, but as the listener can hear, you have a deep, luscious, resonant bass voice. So you were uh, you were ready to be a choral singer. You just didn't know it yet. But interestingly, being around uh, music and classes and whatever, um, it's not something you, you did in college. But having a, a fertile and curious mind, it was a growing edge that you worked on after college, which I just think is, is marvelous. Um, there are a lot of talented people that... Um, Kind of what whatever they uh, they picked up or they learned in high school and college, kind of in that sixteen to twenty two, twenty three year, um, during that like six or seven year range, that's kind of their their mean their metier. That's what yeah. they stick with. But not you. You continue to to grow. There are, there's no bottom to Dave DeQuad. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind. It's been um, a lifesaver. Yeah. It's it's you know just uh, stress wise and just so rewarding to uh encounter and 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 um adapt you know adopt um being able to to sing and and to just see you know enjoy it i love it yeah and part of what we want to do um on this podcast is also just share um examples like concrete examples so kirk just mentioned how um certain composers have found a theme that they particularly like and um uh to the jump to mind uh two examples would be the uh uh, Rafe von Williams, who yeah. um, who wrote Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis. Yes, um, yes. But but the other one, I'm actually forgetting the name of. Uh, no, no, it, it's a variations on a theme by Haydn by Brahms. Yeah. So he takes a, a theme and um, 
that Haydn wrote and uh, has several movements and variations on it that, that it's really an incredible, that's really an incredible piece that uh, Kirk will share in show notes, both that and, and <laughs> Vaughn Williams. Yeah, do, do you have other exa- favorite examples? Uh, you know, I don't mean to take us too far astray, but Kirk mentioned it. Oh, uh, variations. So um, Bach's name in, uh, in German, um, which is, so you could go B-A and then um, E-flat mm-hmm. in, in German is is uh, the C-H. Um, that That is uh, used by a, a bunch of composers. Liszt, um, uh, Shostakovich, Dmitry Shostakovich used Bach. Used, cool. Dmitry Shostakovich used his own signature, mm-hmm. D-F-E-H, a lot. And which has kind of a an eerie sound in his compositions, but yeah. So there's the Bach thumbprint that's often used as a theme. Cool. Um, it's composers like to pay homage to each other. Sure. But sure. I, I just I'm wanted to offer a few like concrete examples for people who yeah. are interested um, but don't know where to start. I'd say let's let's leave those there, and I can okay. leave links and yeah. notes as great examples of um, lovely tunes that are jumping off points for. Yeah for variations. So I was, I, I was doing a lot of throat clearing just to get to this point about Dave. Um, Dave does not play piano. And I, as someone who learned piano first and foremost, can't imagine sitting down <laughs> writing music without putting that, that, that great feeling of putting my, my hands on a keyboard. Um, it's like putting, putting on an old pair of a trusty mm-hmm. pair of boots or a trusty pair of gloves and you flex your fingers and it fits just right. Um, that's what sitting down to a piano feels like to me. But um, David, this got me to thinking. I mean, you you don't play piano, um, no. and so you're writing this stuff um, just just in your head, which is which is really impressive. Um, and the list of composers who weren't pianists is actually really short. Um, the most notable among among them is Hector Berlioz. And uh, so there's that's just that little little factoid. Hmm. Of course, you mentioned college. Of course, you deserve a lot of credit for for this my interest generally um, in, in sparking my interest in, in classical music and classical symphonies and the many great performances mm-hmm. of the Pittsburgh symphony we've, we've gone to Bruckner and Beethoven and Sibelius, that great Sibelius we heard. So. Do you recall our, um, our pilgrimage to Chicago? To oh Sibelius? yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. The fifth, that was the Wheaton conference, the Wheaton philosophy conference. That, that was spectacular. Yeah. So good, so good. We made uh, we saw Bruckner eight in New York. Was that Lauren Mazel? Yes, and we saw the eighth in Cleveland too. I think our senior year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, gentlemen, shall we? Uh, shall we take a look at the, the gospel reading for the for the coming Sunday? Certainly.
All right. Christopher, do you have it up in front of you? I do. Would you mind reading? Um, by having it up in front of me, I mean I have the entirety of John <laughs> of John 10. It's, it's the first 10 verses this year, right? Yes. Yep. Truly, truly, I, I'm sorry, I should introduce the, it's, uh, the, the gospel reading this Sunday comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they don't, do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out. I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here ends the reading. So uh, I think I'm going to uh, comment first. I think that's the order that we said and. Um, the thing that I encourage um, uh, our listeners to do, I've said this before, um, but uh, to best understand scripture uh, is to really understand it in context. Of course, we need to understand it in context of the whole Bible. Um, there are themes that we see in John um, that uh, pick up from themes set down in the Old Testament. There's this rich imagery of um, of God as the shepherd of Israel and the shepherd that has... has um, has uh, brought back uh, the people scattered in, into exile, um, in the Babylonian exile. And, and, and the Lord has sought out those sheep and brought them back to the fold. Um, and and uh, in so many Old Testament uh, books of prophecy, like Ezekiel, uh, we have imagery of, of God as our shepherd. Um, but we also uh, need to have the immediate context is really important. Um, the book of John, uh, we know that... Uh, it's a book of, of, of signs and a book of I am statements that, that it's organized around. But um, the more immediate context um, has to do with actually starts in chapter nine. And we haven't said it before. It's worth saying that um, the division of, the, of scripture into chapters and verses uh, was a late thing. Um, was a thing that didn't happen until I don't know the exact date is somewhere in the 1500s, maybe Um 15th, 16th century, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, so to say, oh, well, this is chapter 10, the beginning of a chapter, uh, may cut us off from some really important context that comes before. So what happens in chapter 9 is that Jesus heals a man born blind. And it's this uh, great sign. Um, uh, and it's interesting when uh, the disciples of John are sent to Jesus. Uh, and it's not clear whether John the Baptist is doubting whether or not Jesus is the Christ or whether his disciples doubt and he wants them to see for themselves. That's not clear. But he sends them to Jesus um, to ask him, like, are you the Christ or is there someone else that's coming? Um, and Jesus is like, well, 
you know, what do you see? Um, and they're like, well, we see, you know, the, the, the blind given sight and, and, and the, the lame healed, um, these things that were that like prof- prophetic, um, things said about, uh, the one who is to come, the Messiah. And, um, and so of course these signs were being laid down indicating that Jesus was the, the, the promised one, the Christ, the anointed one. Um, and, uh, and so this was a sign indicating that he was the one, this, this healing of, of someone, um, blind, so we have that um, in this chapter. Uh, and uh, the other kind of cast of characters we have in, in John chapter 9 are the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees, and, and John uses this term, the Jews, um, uh, at several points. In, in, in verse 18 of John chapter 9, uh, we see it. We also see it in these resurrection appearances where they were gathered behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And, um, of course, that means the Jewish authorities. Uh you know, we, we could get into a whole side conversation about um, how, how like Christianity sprung out of Ju- Judaism and these like everyone, like all the believers, early believers were Jews at first. So um, this is not like cause for anti-Semitism, which some people kind of use it. Um, uh, and so so th- these uh, Pharisees, these Jewish rulers, uh, essentially like uh, – are, are antagonistic towards this man born blind and towards Jesus. Um, and so a lot's going on here. Uh, I love that um, this man kind of taunts. It's, it's kind of kind of cool. Um, do you guys remember him kind of taunting uh, the Pharisees? Do you remember what he says? Um, like They're like interrogating him, and they're like, and he's like, why do you want to know so much about him? Like, do you want to right. be his disciple? <laughs> Which, like, right. infuriates them. Like, <laughs> um, and we also have this wonderful uh, testimony from That's him. That's such a human touch, too, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, like, fifth grade playground. And when they get mad at him, they're like, no, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Ah, like, we are the ones, the inheritors of the law. Um and, uh, and the man, which is interesting, uh, and we see this again in John um, at the woman at the well, how she is this wonderful apostle, um, uh, this, this wonderful missionary, um, like, uh, without theological training, like, going and evangelizing without, like, knowing that much. And that's what this man is. Um, he says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And um, and then they answered him with this. And again, this is I know this is all context, but this is really <laughs> powerful stuff that sets the stage of like there's this theological question that begins this chapter. This question of like who sinned this, that this man was born blind. So there's this idea of like this mm-hmm. this like the disciples almost have this prosperity gospel that like well someone must have sinned that this bad thing happened, um, and and Jesus kind of corrects that misunderstanding. And the Pharisees echo that that they say you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? Um, and they cast him out. Um, and, uh, meanwhile, this man, like, he's like, I don't know. Like, all I know is that I was blind and now I see, um, which is a powerful testimony. Like he's like, I, I, I don't know everything, but what I know is what I've witnessed with my own eyes. And so, um, but what we see is the hardness of hearts of the Pharisees, 
right? Um, these people who should have watched for the signs and should have seen that Jesus was the one who was promised. And um, that, of course, is who Jesus is talking about here. Um, and he indicates uh, the sheep hear his voice and they know him. That he calls his sheep by name. So a lot of stuff is is, is jumping out here. Um, that God loves us and knows us personally and calls us by name. Um, but there's also this recognition that 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 the Pharisees, he's saying, these people that don't hear and don't follow, um, they are not your shepherds. In fact, they are bad shepherds. And and we stopped at verse 10, um, and, and we see um, it's starting at verse 11. Then he talks about the good shepherd, and, and he lays down. Um, but he's talking about the Pharisees while also talking about himself and what it means to be a good shepherd. And um, he uses a string of metaphors here. Um, where he um, says not only is he the shepherd, but he's the he's this door. He's this he's this like door to the sheepfold, um, and uh, and picture the sheepfold being something with with high walls that that a, a thief would have to climb them um, and scale them to get in. And um, in fact, this is a this is a uh, uh, th- this would be the Pharisees. All became who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Um, but if you enter by me, you will be saved. Um, and so, like, it's not it's not the sheepfold that protects the sheep; it's the shepherd. It's proximity to Jesus. Um, so there's a lot of things that that he's emphasizing in this passage. Um, uh, he's emphasizing um, the the kind of uh, how how the Pharisees have lost the plot, how they have lost um, the the idea of God and His goodness and mercy. And have have become obsessed with with the idea that this was done on the Sabbath, rather than seeing both the mercy of the healing of a man born blind, um, and uh, and the fact that like the fact that, that that there's someone giving the blind sight is an indication of who Jesus is, that he was this promised one. Instead, all they can think of is that he broke the law, and and you know Jesus teaches elsewhere um, when they were. Um, walking through the field and picking off the heads of the grain on the Sabbath. Um, and, and the Pharisees confront them about this. He's just like, dudes, like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like this was made to help us. And like, um, you've got it all wrong. Um, so Jesus is doing a number of things. He's, he's correcting the teaching of the Pharisees. He's teaching about who he is. Um, and, and how, uh, how, we interact with him um, by proximity, proximity to him, um, and he differentiates between the good shepherd and the hired hand, and the thief and the robber, and um, uh, and of course, uh, this is going beyond the, the pericope, but that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and and so uh, with that as a table setting, I'll I'll uh, I'll shut up and listen to to your wisdom now, <laughs> David. Um... Yeah. Some thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, so as I read it, I did pick up on um, the part where uh, where they don't understand the the uh, the image. Uh, he Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying um, to them. Uh, and so I, I my thoughts turned to to uh, my old friend T. David Gordon, who was a uh, uh, Professor of mine first, and then a colleague, uh, Paul, great Paul scholar, um, great great scholar. Uh, oh, great, but we went, well. yeah, yeah. Um, 
when we went through John, I took his John course at Grove City, and uh, he pointed out just how often uh, Jesus, the great teacher, as as it was great, was greatly misunderstood uh, in the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, and kind of gave us a, a, a clue. The thing to look for is to think about what this saying looks like in light of the cross, and so it must have been unintelligible. Um, and, and of course, as, as Christopher mentioned, the passage does go on uh, to Christ uh, uh, laying down his, his life uh, for the sheep. And so then looking at that, then from our vantage point and having the perspective of the cross, it, it might be understandable, but it's, it's uh, no less uh, troubling a saying uh, that, that uh, following the good shepherd leads us, first pass through and leads us. Uh, in in the uh, in the way of the cross um, and the reading the readings for this week the other readings so reading this in light of uh, uh, the the first Peter reading that goes along with this gospel reading this week that reading uh, ex- does explicitly allude to Isaiah fifty three uh, all we like sheep have gone astray mm. and so with thinking about this the good shepherd leading us through the way of through the way of the cross. Um, uh, my, uh, I know you guys know, but but I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Saint Augustine. A lot of time thinking about the in my scholarly work, thinking about the Confessions. And and Augustine was always always had in mind this kind of this certain paradox uh, of coming to God, the great gift that we can come to God in humility and in sin, um, and yet how that seems costly. Uh, so Augustine writes, I have a fa- favorite passage here that I try to point out to my students in book one of the confessions, the house of my soul is too small for you to enter, make it more spacious by your coming. It lies in ruins, rebuild it. So I, I when I teach that and I teach the confessions fairly often, I, I try to point my students to, to see that, that Augustine is talking about what Augustine's saying here is he's trying to get us to, to see that paradox the house of, of my soul is too small for you. I'm not worthy to come into your presence. Make it bigger. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Augustine's always thinking of the prodigal, which which goes with the lost sheep parable in the other in, in the other uh, gospels. Um, the, first of all, the the um, the prodigals, um, the the senselessness of the of the prodigal squandering. But then when he comes to his senses and realizes he has to go back to his father, but still trying to do it on his own terms, I'll go as a servant until I can get things together. And of course, right. the, the, that parable turns everything upside down. So my thoughts turn to, to, turn to that, that, um, that gift of the way of the cross uh, as I thought about um, uh, the, call, the call of Christ, uh, the call of the good shepherd, um, who, uh, so as I, as I, uh, looked at this passage this week. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, David. Good stuff. So, yeah, yeah. If, if I could just, um, jump in here and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, Luke who talks about, um, who has the parable of the prodigal son and, if, and like Dave said, it's, it's one of three lost, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, parables uh, in a row. And, and, uh, Tim Keller has written a wonderful, book on on those three uh parables uh called the prodigal god mm-hmm. um because in fact it's, it's god's kind of um prodigious and, and wasteful mm-hmm. love that um that, that is really um exhibited here in in welcoming the sun back and and in fact that like um to understand the pro the 
the parable of the prodigal son, of course, is to understand it as the, as the parable of the lost son, um, mm-hmm. as, as like we see it in a series, a sequence of, of a woman um, seeking out a lost coin in her home and, of, and a shepherd seeking out a lost sheep. And, of course, the God who seeks us out uh, and finds us. It's a beautiful little book. Um, you could read it in an hour, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And a wonderful and deeply theological book, though, though accessible. Yeah, so the reason that um, this is the uh, the reading on the fourth Sunday of Easter is that uh, this is always Good Shepherd Sunday, mm-hmm. and the the theme is the through line um, that connects all of the readings and and the the collect for the Sunday, the prayer, um, and it's really lovely. Uh, the Psalm for Sunday will be uh, the twenty third Psalm, um, and the, the reading as well will be from First Peter, where. Uh, which kind of the penultimate moment of that reading is that Jesus is the shepherd of our souls, the bishop of our souls. Uh, but it's interesting, the uh, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd ripples throughout all of scripture. And, um, and most of the time, it's we who are sheep. Um, and uh, and uh, it's pointed out that Jesus is the good shepherd, which is interesting. Um, I, I believe I've heard sermons that, that shepherd wasn't a, uh, a a prime position, <laughs> and so shepherds weren't weren't always a, a reliable lot of folks. Um, but Jesus is a good shepherd. Um, uh, it's a lovely image. Uh, there's a there's a movie, and I I didn't think to look this up. Um, Christopher, do you remember this, Dave? Do you remember this? I think this was a Jerry Bruckheimer World War II movie. I'm trying to remember what it no, was. I don't think I know it. Um, where before pilots uh, and uh, paratroopers were taken off from the. Uh, um, from the aircraft carrier to do um, do a bombing raid in Germany. So this would have been like 1944, 19. I think this was, I think it honestly was a uh, Memphis bell. <laughs> um, and uh, so this great Jerry, maybe it's not even Jerry Brockheimer. I could be wrong on like all of this, except for that it was Memphis <laughs> bell. and just before they're getting on the planes um, uh, there, everyone is uh, reciting the 23rd Psalm. And uh, this has been uh something about this really intuitively is settling and calming to our souls. Um, it's interesting. The first Peter reading, I, I think kind of uh, elaborates what it is about it. Oftentimes this reading is, is uh, the heading is uh, um, submission to authority. And in fact, this, is, this has been a reading that is uh, some Christians have been ashamed of. Mm. Um, perhaps it's been used to justify slavery in the past. Mm. And, and, and I don't know, and uh, we, we, don't need, we don't need to go into that. That's, I, I think, on its face, terrible exegesis. Because this is, First Peter is a, is a lovely book that more and more draws me in. And this itself, as it gets into the second chapter, um, is just profound and moving teacher, teaching upon profound and moving teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that this is uh, chosen um, as the epistle reading for Good Shepherd Sunday, here, I'll read here just uh, the final couple verses and forgive me, I cannot help it. I will read out of the King James, because this is what I've I've sung <laughs> in, uh, in in settings uh, of this of this passage. Um, well, uh, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's that lovely passage, verse nine, that precedes our reading, but our reading today is 1 Peter 2, 13 through, what is it, 17? Um, but this is, so we, here we have at verse, 
this is masterful content when uh, when the hosts um, lose their spot. <laughs> as you're as you're finding it, I'll insert here yeah. that. Um, go ahead, go ahead, and then I'll leave the interruption when I find it. <laughs> I I'm I'm preaching on this passage on the First Peter. I'm actually mm-hmm. not preaching on John, and it's a wonderful and beautiful passage that talks about Christian freedom, and that's what it's talking about when it instructs slaves to respect their masters. It's it's something yes. entirely different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would just I would just say about that, and then I'll get around to my point, which I did find, and I did find the verse. Good. Um, uh, the submission is uh, is is often thought of as an ugly idea and an ugly concept um, in our culture, um, and uh, and likewise authority, which is the other the other side of that coin, um, and that is not a biblical or a godly idea. Mm-hmm. Um, one day it'll be the loveliest and most right sensation we will ever have to submit to the one true king. Mm-hmm. And so what the question is, what does proper submission look like? And to whom and to what do you submit yourself? Um, so this American recoil against submission, I, I think we need to recognize it when we feel it. And don't just assume that it's a right and proper moral intuition, because it's not. Um, but, but anyway, I, di- I did find um, the verse here. Uh, the, the point is interesting. Uh, there's a call to, to submission um, and, and, and freedom in that submission to Christ. And then we have, uh, in verses 21 through 25, we have uh, St. Peter explains why God gets to call us to submit. Because the one who calls us to submit himself submitted to and showed us how lovely submission can be, especially out of love for another. Um, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Um, I, I just do want to point out verse 17 in the King James it says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I believe our American translations do not translate that. <laughs> honor the king, what do they say? Honor the emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, God gets to call us to submit because he first showed what submission was. Um, and so we have a shepherd that submitted himself for the for the sheep. We sing during Holy, Wo- uh, Holy Week the hymn, Ah, Holy Jesus which has a lovely line, lo, the good shepherd, for the sheep is slaughtered. Um, and uh, and so there's there's beauty there. We have a shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep. In fact, was the sheep, the lamb of God, capital L, capital G. Um, so those are uh, just my thoughts. I find that, that beautiful, that moving um, with the John passage, the Peter passage, and of course, uh, Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and of course Peter um, uh, points to our identity in Christ as as integral to our ability to submit. Right, that like if like it would be hard to do if we were just kind of 
um, adherence, you know, religious adherence. Um, right. But, uh, you know, this, this follows this passage where, he, you know, he says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Um, that, that like, it's, I, I do believe that it is tied to our identity of like what we've already been proclaimed, who we are and who we belong to. Um, that free, In that freedom, we're able to submit. Um, and there's a powerful verse in there, and I don't have it in front of me, um, that it's just like uh we're great at finding the verse we were looking for aren't we <laughs> um no I'll, uh, it's actually uh verse 12 it's the verse be before the this uh the whole chapter pericope um that uh that that is is it sets it up very well it says keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify yeah. God on the day of visitation. So there's this. Um, so that, that's verse twelve. Uh, Sunday's pericope starts with verse thirteen. But like it's set up by saying like, yeah, you're going to be slandered. They're going to say they're going to say lies about you. So let your conduct in the the freedom you have in Christ. Um, let let yourselves be such splendid um, uh, emissaries, such splendid. Um, light to the world um that that like when others speak about you as evildoers it'll be so evident to those around you um uh, th that um uh, the, the character of the god that you worship um so it's yeah it's 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 a it's a really a beautiful book and a wonderful it's interesting how this is uh we walk through first peter um i try to remember what what uh one book i was reading said was it was it that it was seen by some as was it as a uh, baptism liturgy or maybe just a catechetical like preparation for baptism, um, just integral for like new Christians, but also Christians who, who feel a little bit um, marginalized um, in their day and, 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 and uh, persecuted. I occasionally have this sinful heretical thought as I'm reading first Peter and I just stop and I marvel at um at its beauty, its profundity, its effective call to holiness. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm being beaten over head, the head by the law when I read First Peter. Rather, mm -hmm. I feel as if um, I'm being drawn into something lovelier, higher, and more beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I, I And I, I think, could that dude that we read about in the <laughs> Gospels have written this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which, what I'm actually noticing is um, the beauty of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Not... Mm -hmm. not that Peter was an idiot, therefore mm -hmm. yeah. he didn't author this. But. Well, there is, I mean, it, it's, it's a neat reversal um, in teaching. I think I mentioned you guys have teaching Bonhoeffer for the Christianity class. And he spends a lot of time. The passage after G Peter confesses Christ is when Jesus has to rebuke him because he predicts his passion. Yeah. yeah. And so that is now reverse that, that yes, Peter is the great preacher of, of uh, suffering with hope and joy because Christ suffered for us. And we know we, you know, we, and, and of course, Peter's denial, right. And being restored. So I, yes, I love that Peter wrote, wrote this epistle. Mm. And Dave, it's interesting well you bring said, up, Dave. it's, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, a man who in his freedom in Christ um, yeah. went from the safety of America back to Germany. Yeah. Yes. That is, that is, that is true freedom, right? Yes, it is. It is gripping to re to read Bonhoeffer and 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 know the story. Um, to to read Bonhoeffer talking about how the 
when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, and how that really is the freedom of grace, that that is a gift of being able to turn away. Again, I always think of the prodigal, the self-destructiveness. Um, yeah, and, for, and for Bonhoeffer to be a 20th century martyr, really, um, in that, uh, in that, um, in his response to that is, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's arresting. It's arresting. And, and Dave, kind of one of the things that I've tried to do is, is to not just, is to not assume on this podcast that everyone knows what we're talking about. So, um, so, so yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, um, in America during the end of World War II and chose, he felt called um, through his freedom in Christ to go back to Germany. Um, and and uh, you could probably articulate this better than me, but to like serve the underground church. And and um, yeah. what, what particular was he called to just in a few minutes? And what 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 what, what was his end? Yeah, he, um, so the book I'm teaching is The Cost of Discipleship, which he wrote in 1937. Um, and he was already clearly... I mean, it was already clearly a prophetic call against against the fascism and, and the Nazi uh, regime. Um, but but Bonhoeffer at the time was a pacifist, and yes, he was he he um, um, that's right. He was in the states, um, and he, he returned to Germany. And his his end was to have been brutally executed by the by the Nazi regime toward the very very end of the war. Mm-hmm. Well, was already lost but for participating in, in a in a plot to uh to assassinate hitler yeah yeah and um he's an interesting biography it's worth worth looking into um and and as a prisoner um we have uh accounts um uh is it uh, who was the who's the guy who wrote all the letters on his way to rome um uh to his execution um the early Christian, uh, Polycarp, your name? Yeah, yeah, Polycarp. Okay, um, yeah, uh, it's and it had it had just an impact on those around him in, in his freedom, like knowing that like he could have probably done something, but he felt like this was what he's mm-hmm. called to. Um, yep. he, he, he probably could have avoided it, but he's like, no, I think this is what the Lord is calling me to. Um, Bonhoeffer in jail, um, ministered powerfully to the guards and to the, uh, the, the people in jail, um, next to him. And he was even allowed, I think to, to like, um, to leave his cell to, to go and minister to other prisoners. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I, that sounds right. I don't know yeah. as much about this. I'm I'm terrible, you know, oh, yeah. as a philosopher. You know, I I you know, <laughs> I just read the you know. <laughs> no, I mean, I did some of the background, but yes, yeah. I, I do. I I have heard about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we uh, we dip on over to our next segment? Nope. Nope. I'm good. Um, so uh, our next segment is on theology, and David, you've been reading one of our great modern theologians. Yes, you yes. talked to us about this. Yeah, I'm glad you guys let me uh, just kind of <laughs> put him in. 
I've, it's been more of an obsession this last year with Robert Ferrer Capon's uh, Capon's book, um, uh, The Supper of the Lamb. It's a, it's um, it, I mean, it's 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 hard to describe. Um, I used it uh, in our um, uh, chapter meetings, our leadership team meetings at a um, at, at church. We do like a five minute centering thought, um, and I just basically read a passage from this book. Um, and what's the book about? It's about c- cooking. It's about it's about being made in the image of God. I said anyone who eats and drinks or is made for sustenance or is made in the image of God should read this book. It's just a, it's just a, it's an indescribably awesome book, and it, it kind of it dovetailed with um I mean of all things uh, you know this new show Chef John Favreau's kind of conceit project where where uh, he interviews all these chefs or the Chef Show I think it's called. Um, so I've and I kind of been getting into cooking, and this book. Um, was on my radar and it's just, it's just wonderful. And it's come back to mind, um, in, in the quarantine here. Um, and I think it does fit the gospel passage because he talks about paying attention and that is a big part of, of, you know, the call of Jesus hearing, hearing the voice, paying attention for what that call is and, and when it comes. Um, so if I can read a, a little bit of, of, uh, uh, just a quick passage, um, the context of this, he's told this great story of, of convincing when, when uh, he was a newlywed, convincing his wife to fry parsley for him for a, <laughs> uh, a dinner party. And when the parsley hit the water, <laughs> the, the uh, it, everything hit the fan, literally and figuratively. Um, but he said the parsley was great. It, it was transfigured. I shall never forget it. So he says, between the onion and, and the parsley, therefore, I shall give the summation of my case for paying attention. Man's real work is to look at the things of the world and to love them for what they are. That is, after all, what God does, and man was not made in God's image for nothing. The fruits of his attention can be seen in all the arts, crafts, uh, and sciences. Uh, And then further down, but if man's attention is repaid so handsomely, his inattention costs him dearly. Every time he diagrams something instead of looking at it, every time he regards not what a thing is, but what it can be made to mean to him, Every time he substitutes a conceit for a fact, he gets grease all over the kitchen of the world. Reality slips away from him, he is, and he is left with nothing but the oldest monstrosity in the world, an idol. So it's, it's been, it's just been returning to mind, it's kind of just having a chance for some more thoughtfulness and considering what we were so busy doing before the quarantine and paying attention um, has, been, has been something in my mind, uh, you know, recently. Um, that's a that's a very striking thought to me because um, I, I feel as a kind of working active adults, we've all kind of become worse at this in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, even just say watching a movie with our family, mm-hmm. um, if we've got any alerts at all going off on our phone, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I can suddenly realize that 20 minutes of the movie have gone by and I'm not present. Um, last night we were watching Peter Pan, the old Disney classic with my family. Yeah. Um, and I had a, a digital conversation going with someone on some platform. It, it, it's so trivial that I've already forgotten it. Right. And uh, what it was, but I wasn't present. Um, and uh, and um, this is this is this is really really good and worthwhile. Um, how have you found this playing out then in your daily interaction with your family, your your hobbies, the things you're working on? Yeah. So. Um... And I'm often bad at it with the digital conversations, 
But the the book itself, I mean, the book's theme too of cooking has actually been one of the ways um, where, um, <clears throat> you know, like many of us have, Marianne and I really juggle our schedule, including in the summertime because we, we we're juggle, kind of juggling days where we're doing academic stuff <clears throat> uh, and the kids. Um, so it, it's, it has been kind of a freedom again, as a kind of heady guy, right. So my dissertation is on ethics and, and I, I tend toward the abstract to just slow down and, 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 um, and really enjoy playing some music in the kitchen and stopping and enjoying how an onion browns, um, and enjoying mm. the process and using that to, to, as a, as, as a discipline, I don't want to make it sound more spiritual than it is. But as a discipline to kind of let the anxiety, you know, let my ordinary anxieties about what do I need to get done? And I've got three things going at once um, and anxiety about kind of juggling work, work in the kids and being present for both is to, to just that, that really to start with that, to start with paying attention with what's happening uh, in front of you. And I've really enjoyed it. It's really, you know, singing, cooking. Uh, these are these are calming to me. Um, when you're, when you're there, when you're present, um, and there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to it to be able, I mean, part of the busyness, right. And part of, I teach on technology and it's, and in some ways it's been a gift in this quarantine as we're doing right now, but, but it, it, it does have that, that disembodied and that, that kind of illusion of being everywhere, uh, and nowhere. And that's, you know, that's, that's the garden to be able to impose our will on things and not just be what we were made to be. So it's been actually, I think it's been, you know, it, it it's mundane in the best sense. It's earthy, mm-hmm. without, you know, just the enjoyment of creation. Yeah. There's a, there's a phrase that's tossed around a lot and I, and I get what it means. I, I have a little hang up um, because I, I, I think it's using it in the wrong way, but it's, um, talks about it's the the phrase is incarnational theology, yeah, and uh, and and what they mean is that we are embodied beings, right? Um, my my hang up is that when we talk about the incarnation, we should be marveling at the God made man yes. in the Virgin Mary. But but anyhow, but the point really stands here, which is that we are physical beings and we are made to interact in a three dimensional mm-hmm. uh, uh, wor- world with dirt under our fingernails and. Uh, and um, sore backs at the end of the day. Yep. And we're happiest, um, and and most um, walking in divine patterns when we are doing that. And a lot of our 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 disconnected and technological or virtual life is is gnostic, is almost anti physical, anti material, mm-hmm. in sort of a godless way. Um, uh, does does he talk about that at all? Or yeah, so, I mean, sir, you know, I mean, the whole book really is about recovering embodiment and matter. Um, in fact, the great line at the end of the book is that, um, is that, um, he says we can indeed take it with us. Um, we can, you see, take it with us. It will be precisely because we love Jerusalem enough to bear it in our bones that its textures will ascend when we rise. Mm. So yes, he's, he's trying to recover that. And someone who reads Augustine who talks about the danger of, of making, earthly things, ultimate things, but this is the, the important flip side of that is to let them be what they are. And in that cooking, I do find that self-forget, the best kind of self-forgetfulness, um, r- rather than the, 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 uh, the, um, 
the dividing of ourselves that we voluntarily do so we can be everywhere at once. There's the true self-forgetfulness that I'm just cooking cooking this this gift. Um, if this if this meal comes out right, it's because onions do that. Um, so yeah, it's the whole book is about it. I mean, again, it's indescribable. If you haven't read it, I mean, I just can't say enough about it. And I, I have been, I just, there's just, there's, it's just the best. And we do have this unique opportunity right now in what Kirk has termed Corona tide. Kirk, is that your invention? <laughs> Corona tide. I, I, I've seen it elsewhere as well, okay. but I'm, 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 I'm running with it, man. <laughs> Own it. We're, we're all we have is time and, and it, I hope it hits home to these people who are baking and doing things with their hands. Um, we've invented all these uh, things of convenience um, to save us time, but for what? Um, and and I'm a guy who likes my washing machine and my dishwasher, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but uh, also um, I hope that during this this season that that we realize when we have time to chop vegetables, to take the time to do that, um, to to hand grind coffee beans and 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 t- slow down, do a pour over, and and yes, you have to you know wash dishes instead of shove them in the, in your dishwasher, but um, that that it's it's worthwhile. Um, uh, I think sometimes we look to conveniences that that save time um, only to kind of. Uh, give us more time to do this disembodied weird um put our eyes on a screen um mm-hmm. and, and that's not a good thing and uh i, I think we, we we know this to be true but it's, it's something that that our our bodies fight um i'm reminded of a story i don't know if it's apocryphal but do you guys remember the monty python sketch i'm a lumberjack and and i don't care. yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, i'm told that 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 uh the genesis of that uh, was eric idol who um you know think of of how great and brilliant these these minds were in monty python um but in fact these were labors um to, to get to the product that we enjoy um they just sit in writer's rooms and and like work at it and yeah so he's like sitting in this writer's room just like feeling uh, alienated and just like he mm-hmm. and he like leaped up on the table and he's just like i wasn't meant to sit at you know a table writing i was meant to be a lumberjack the sense of you know great. being alienated from like, from from like working with my hands and yeah, I think we all kind of do sense that. Yeah, yeah. I so my, I understand that a lot of our neck and back pain has to do with the unnaturalness of mm. modern white collar life, mm-hmm. and I've been complaining about it finally going away. Um, I've been complaining about what I call Zoom neck, like <laughs> <laughs> punched over these awful screens. Um, because all our meetings are virtual, um, even the body suffers from <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, living these these two dimensional virtual lives. So I'm, I mean, I'm I, all I mean, you know, Kirk, that. I'm a pretty tensed up guy, right? And and so yeah. I really do need it. I mean, I can feel the tension passing away when I fire up the grill, um, or when I, when I'm engaged in some of these, uh, you know, some of these other practices that that I find renewing. It's really it's it's essential, and it and it is a prelude to paying attention to more important things. Could we? Mm-hmm. Have, it, yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Would it be uh, would it be um, stretching things to um, think of the Mary Martha pericope as a, yeah yeah a parallel here? Yeah, that's fair. To be present mm-hmm. when the good things in our life are around us. Really. Really, yeah. Because I mean, again, seeing that in in in. Uh, in uh, Corona Tide, I like that. I'm going to start adopting it. <laughs> right, right. The 
the stress of 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 now having course prep be at home david elliot my son bangs on the door and comes through or <laughs> to just i mean this is this is precious time with my children mm. um and to kind of let it you know roll with the punches with that it really is Thank you for sharing this with us, David. Absolutely, absolutely. That's Thanks for letting me. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm like a, like an evangelist for, Cape, for Capen. I'll, I'll, anyone who will listen, I'm going to tell them how much I love this book. That's great. So we're coming up at the end of things. Um, David, we haven't had a chance to talk with you in a while. Um, what have you been into? So you mentioned at the at the uh, top of the show, that's kind of using uh, my time in, uh, in this quarantine. It's mostly been with music stuff, either this music theory online class I'm doing or now trying my hand uh, at a, uh, um, a little – uh, a little composition, at least, a, a, you know, um, yeah, trying my hand at, the, at that. Um, but also um, my you daughter. You can watch it looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have been streaming some things. Um, a big thing, um, again, I think I've alluded to it, but my, uh, my wife is a literature PhD, um, but would focus on 20th century theater, theater professor and, and director. Um, so um, enjoying the arts, Certainly theater, but others has been a big thing. So we have been taking advantage of some of the, um, you know, professional streamed um, performances. Uh, we did the the, uh, the Donizetti's Daughter of the Regiment, which I had heard the famous um, the famous part of it that has all the high C's for the tenor part. But um, but uh, I mean, and it's it's kind of a silly opera, but but that was that was good fun. <laughs> We we watched the start of the Globe Theaters Romeo and Juliet. I think that's up for another little while. We might we may end up uh, uh, finishing that. And uh, my daughter, uh, continuing a great tradition. Um, I have a sister. You guys of course know, but I have a sister who's fifteen um, uh, years younger than me. Um, and now my daughter is kind of her mini me. So um, I read yeah. I read my sister the Narnia Chronicles, and now they're pretty we're pretty much on a loop with that. Jovi is in Jovana Kirk's goddaughter is in, is uh, has um a, an unlimited appetite for being read to, and she loves Narnia. Uh, so we've been reading that on a loop, and that you know th- to me that's not just I mean it's oh I mean I probably read them now a dozen times, uh, but uh, they're. They remain. I was saying to Marianne, this is just really good writing. These are amazing. These they're still on after all these years and all these readings, amazing books. So, mm-hmm. so we're 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 getting some good things in during the uh, yeah. during during. So, the- so my wife and I have been excited about the last season of Bosch. That's just been mm. really. Uh-huh. And if you don't know what that is, um, it is probably the best LA noir. Um, as a genre, um, cool. a TV series ever made. So if you like LA Confidential or if you like reading Raymond Chandler, um, there's this whole um, kind of uh, spoof genre um, uh, 
Garrison Keillor used to uh, do Guy Noir, Private Eye. There's this whole spoof genre of literature and based off of um, Eleanor new movies. And it all goes back to Raymond Chandler, The Big Sleep, The Lady in the Lake. Yeah, right. Um, the Little Sister. And a couple of years ago, I read those. And then Amazon came out with this great series called Bosch. And uh, every year when they, uh, when they roll out a new series, we, um, we watch it. It's... Um, so I, I love Shakespeare. I'm an Anglophile. Uh, I, I, I love Jane Austen. Uh, I love John Milton. Um, but yet we as America have contributed um, several uh, completely sui generis uh, genres mm. that really the world owes a great debt to. And one of them is L.A. noir fiction. And this is the best. So if you like your hard-boiled crime with crooked mm. cops, um, and uh, and and other cops, uh, protagonists that don't quite play by the rules, but who somehow get the crime so the, the crime solved at the end. Um, this is great. I I can't recommend it enough. Christopher, uh, I'll just uh, agree. It's it's a great show. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys uh, have you guys finished the season yet? We haven't. No, we no we we just started episode three, so we're okay. so early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. What's it on? Because we are looking for some things to watch. It's on Amazon Prime. Amazon. Yeah. Good question. Good question. Yeah. Dear listener, if you want to, if you want to catch it, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. All five, six seasons now, and this is. I think it's the sixth. Is, uh, yeah. Yep. Christopher, I know you have a heart out here. Um. Any anything else for us before uh, we pray and uh, and exit? Nothing else. All right. Christopher, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, I would love to, which is me stalling um, to pull up the document with the prayers. Quality <laughs> content for um, our listenership. Would our guest actually uh, be willing to do this? Do you have it, Dave? The uh, the conch of the week? Mm-hmm. I, I have the prayers. I can close this in prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that, when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 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 O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. David, thank you. David, thank you for joining us. It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, yours as well. And this was a blast. Thank you so much, guys. See you next week. Next week. Absolutely.